This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Codename Phoenix. He has in his possession a genetically engineered virus. Yeah, sure. It could change the future of mankind. You should be helping me. Nice fairy tale. Let's go. It's true. In your dreams. Welcome to Continuum Drag. The podcast that hopes you're wearing clean underwear. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I just want to say a bit of affirmation that this movie taught me, which is flaunt your body. <laughs> okay. Remember someone said that? I don't even remember who said it, but someone said flaunt your body. And you really took it to heart. I did. That's why you're wearing what you're wearing today on the Zoom call. <laughs> clean underwear. All right. Well, before we get into this week's episode, we are being joined by a returning guest Jillian, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Luke. And Jordan, it was Aurora who said that. Aurora said it, right. Is she the the villain who loves face cream? Yes. Right. She is a self-made makeup internet salesperson. She's the same villain that Sharon Stone played in the Halle Berry uh, Catwoman movie. For anyone who watched that movie, (laughs) for all the three people that watched that movie. (laughs) I was thinking it was more like that villain in... um, Otherworld, who ran that resort and stole people's souls to make oh, uh, yeah. makeup that keeps you alive. That's a deep cut. Anyway, Jillian, when were you here last? What did you do last time? We did like a TV movie last time. That was the after, oh, right? And I after. was, and I actually liked it, and y'all didn't. And I was like, this is okay. <laughs> and I, I had some uh, deep cuts about it being like parts of Dante's Inferno and stuff. And mm. I think uh, you were mildly impressed. I remember it took like two hours and then some guy crab walked. Oh, yeah. I do remember after that episode, uh, Chris Carter wrote us and said, Jillian gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Chris go way back. <laughs> and it had Aldous Hodge, who I said at the time was in clemency and who's now gone on to do more things. He's just in one night in Miami playing Jim Brown. And, and you can tell from that, like he's an exceptional actor and good looking and, you know, you can tell he was going places. I mean, that's much like the TV we were watching today. All the people in this are going places. (laughs) Let me just say now is this guy who's the lead and uh, I apologize to him ahead of time. Is he one of the worst leads we've ever seen in a TV movie, Luke? I mean, I don't know. He falls into the category of, I guess we're supposed to like him, but I don't know why. Jillian, your thoughts? I literally wrote down, how the hell did this guy get this job? He has zero charisma. Yeah. I wrote it down. Passably handsome and then uh, white. I guess those are the criteria. And then I ended up like Googling because I was like, how did this guy get this job? Like, I'm confused. And he's been in a million things. Yes. Uh, well, actually, even I'll, we'll get into it, that, that, I guess. But we're watching a TV movie from 2000 called Codename Phoenix. And uh, it was suggested to us by an anonymous listener. Did not want to leave their name attached to this <laughs> one, I guess. But uh... It's probably the guy who stars in this movie. <laughs> 
probably. This listener, I don't even know if to he, I shouldn't say that. This listener sent us this uh, anonymous email and they provided not just like the name of the movie, but also links around it, like background information. So like I got a lot around it. And the lead actor in this movie, I believe it's either the writer or the director of this film had worked. They'd worked together on a Mortal Kombat series as well so it may be that that was where they had met and then he was like oh, i love working with him let's let's get him on to uh codename phoenix if i'm remembering the order right maybe i'm flopping it around maybe maybe mortal kombat came later at any rate this is part of a beautiful collaboration between two people jeffrey meek is the actor's name we're talking about that's the lead of this jeffrey meek playing jake randall which i like i like that the the name it's it's as generic a hero as possible uh, but this uh, this movie is part of uh, I guess UPN at some point the the Paramount Network had started like just producing a bunch of films to fill I guess the network's need for movies and this is all part of uh, the series they were doing it was produced under the title or the brand Blockbuster Shockwave Cinema. Is it a blockbuster or it's a shockwave or the shockwave is the result of how big a blockbuster this is? Well, it's actually blockbuster as in the video store. Because after these aired, they were available the next day in Blockbuster to rent. (laughs) Lineups around the block. I've never heard of a collaboration like that before. That's so weird. It's interesting, eh? I mean, it's like kind of like a Crave original. The OG. (laughs) Real Canadian deep cut there. (laughs) Which I've worked on some Crave originals. Some of them are fine. Leave them alone. Oh, yeah. It actually, like, that's rude to crave originals. <laughs> They're pretty good. This is meh. I mean, I was happy that it was under 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, this was a nice, nice hour and a half, barely. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons I think this was suggested to us, and this was in the email, and then even when you read kind of the synopsis for this, they really talk about this film as it's about a virus that's happening in the year 2020. And I think the general thing was this sent to me as like, oh, it's going to be a very prescient film about a pandemic in 2020. There's no pandemic. There's barely a virus in this movie. That is not the thing that's the most interesting part of this movie. The most interesting part of this movie is the Toronto skyline. <laughs> it is funny. And I'm sure we'll we'll mention it more, but... You know, lots of things are filmed, obviously, in other locations. And this is clearly supposed to be Hollywood because they do this real, like, I don't know, Limp biscuit sort of shot of uh, the Hollywood sign and stuff. And then it just cuts to the CN Tower. I mean, there's also Roy Thompson Hall. Roy Thompson Hall, which I know people who don't live in Toronto probably wouldn't recognize it. And I've seen it in lots of shows like The Boys and Umbrella Academy and stuff. But the CN Tower, people know what that is. They have to. And it's not even like they're hiding it. There's literally a sniper on it. It's prominently featured in this yeah. feature, in this film. But then, like, he's just the guy is like it's like a downward, like an upward angle shot, and he's leaning over with the CN, like very phallic beside him. And then, just like literally, you can tell someone just put a palm tree. Like, there's just like palm trees added in every shot to be like, oh yeah. It's L.A. Yeah, I love the idea that in 2000, they said, what is L.A. going to look like in 20 years? I'd say Toronto right now. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into this now, I guess. I just want to say, how great would the job have been as the guy who moves the palm tree every scene? It's like, all right, move, <laughs> move the palm tree for this next shot. Yeah, that greens guy just got t- got a huge bonus. All right. Well, before we get into it, um, this came out on March 3rd in the year 2000. And uh, here's a little peek as to what was happening in the world around then. March 4th, so the day after this, the PlayStation 2 is released in Japan. How about that? 
And uh, I'll only do one more, Jordan. This is uh, for you. Because <laughs> my excitement wasn't enough listeners. for the PlayStation. <laughs> too, too low, too low energy here. Uh, for you, Jordan, and the listeners, this was out during the run of Harsh Realm. Oh, look at that. Another uh, Chris Carter connection. It all connects back to Chris Carter. <laughs> like some Maybe sort Chris of Chris Carter gave the anonymous tip. Can I mention something I found about this? Mm-hmm. I was looking up more to see if anyone was talking about Codename Phoenix, and not surprisingly, no one was. But what I did find is that the Secret Service has different code names for people, different politicians. And in 2008, they had a code name uh, for a politician. It was John McCain when he was running for president, and his code name was Phoenix. So he's the original oh. code name Phoenix. Well, she, the woman in this is the original. She's from 2000. Oh, that's true. Well, no, but it's 2020. Wow, the timeline is so confused. <laughs> I guess they're, it's Phoenix because he was a prisoner of war in Nam, I guess. And he was reborn after that. Yeah. I've been to the lake that he his plane landed in. Weird. Oh, what a tourist attraction. I lived in Vietnam randomly for a... It's a, it's a big lake. You made a pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, this is where John McCain... I was like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we get into it? It's Phoenix yes. to you, by the way. Here is the IMDb summary for Codename Phoenix. A Hong Kong martial artist joins forces with a U.S. marshal in 2020 to stop the release of a virus that halts the aging process. And that was courtesy of Timor Tabby. Timor Tabby? Like Tabby like a cat? No, T-A-B-I. Oh, I'm less, I'm less interested now. <laughs> like the women's clothing store. What's it called? There's a women's clothing store called T-A-B-I? Tabby. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, this this TV movie starts off, as we've implied, uh, with a big title credit saying, The 21st Century. Yeah, they don't actually ever say 2020, do they? I didn't catch it either, but for some reason, all the writing around it very much pinpoints it in the year 2020. So I'm just going with, the. there must have been like some press around the movie that really pushed it as 2020. I guess it's like 20 years in the future if it was 2000. Mm. But I was excited when it started because, it's, yeah, Hong Kong, 21st century, and then it was Hong Kong. I was like, oh, my gosh, is this movie actually set in Hong Kong? Like, yes, I love Hong Kong. I'm sorely disappointed. Brief, brief, but... A brief visit. <laughs> oh, but I did yeah. realize, I think the reason everyone knows it's 2020, because there's a one of the hilarious references they make, which they say it's the Rolling Stones' uh, 60th anniversary tour. And if uh... we're counting it from 1960, that would mean it was 2020. You can do the math, I see mm-hmm. what you said. I was kind of excited about it because I don't know if we've watched anything that we've definitely watched things that have taken place in the future before, but I don't know if we've done anything that's just like so close. Like this is set in the future of 2000, like 20 years later, but we are now just one year past the date of this movie. Mm-hmm. So we're watching a movie set in the future that we are now four weeks past. I think Toronto looks pretty much the same. <laughs> looks identical except for the palm trees. <laughs> yeah, they haven't, they haven't played to those palm trees yet. Dead in one week. It is just fun to see the like swings the writers took on this movie of just like, what's 20 years in the future going to look like? And uh, you know what? Some near misses, but you know, some fun, some fun stuff going on. Uh, we, yes, as you mentioned, we start in Hong Kong. We're watching a group of men, armed men, of course, infiltrate a biological or maybe pharmaceutical lab. But the Hong Kong Special Forces is there sending in their codename Phoenix operative to stop them. And I guess this is our first protagonist, Lucy. Uh, well, how would you describe Lucy? Zen. She's quite calm. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. right. It annoyed me that her hair wasn't in a ponytail. Always does. 
I can't handle when women are like running around with their hair long. It's like that is so unrealistic. Put it up in a ponytail, you guys. Put it up in a ponytail. I, I, I can see via Zoom that you weren't expecting this to be a very physically active podcast. <laughs> Your hair is down long. You're just taking it easy. It's very chill. Um, yeah, she is uh, a martial arts expert, I guess, who was orphaned at a young age and then raised by her uncle in Hong Kong. And I guess she was raised to be part of his. I think it's it's crazy. He's like, I guess he's a person in the Hong Kong special forces. He's like, well, now that you're my child, I'm raising you for one purpose and one purpose alone to work for the Hong Kong special forces. The only thing I really liked is in this part is she wears like like a half goggle but the part that is in front of her eye that i guess is giving her information like infrared and stuff is just like a big globe i like the look of it she's got like an augmented reality kind of like eyepiece on so she can see like blueprints as she walks around and i thought this was going to be like i kept wait i'm like why is she so important why is she a code name something i'm like is it because she has this optical device we never see it again that's not like part of what makes her special also is it weird that this is called codename phoenix I mean, she's probably our main character for the most part, but do they even say Codename Phoenix in this movie? Do they say that? Like, it seems so innocuous to what the movie actually is. I think the idea is that it's Phoenix because she is immortal. Like, she keeps coming back to life. Do you think so? Like, after she gets, well, she gets shot like a million times. With with darts, though. Oh, they're darts. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're darts. But then, like, it starts at the beginning. Was it the beginning? Where there's like a very epic paper cut and... Wait, what? Yeah, the mom gets a paper cut. The mom gets a paper cut. And I was just like, why are... Because I really hate paper cuts. Like, they, they're something that like they make my, my teeth like, I don't like that. So I was like, woo, what is this? But then I didn't even realize until I was like at the end. I was like, why was there that bit about the paper cut? Because it was like glooping blood, but then it like goes away and reborn interesting you 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 read into some things that i totally missed but yes there's a few flashbacks with lucy where we see her as a child and her mom teaching her i guess about death and rebirth um which is sort of i guess why we're supposed to think she's fearless in battle that's what i took from it like she's not afraid to die that's what makes her such a good warrior but may but maybe that's it i because i could never quite tell what made her a code name like what made her so special other than like she's good at martial arts Mm. and even that is sort of good. Yeah. Yeah, the martial arts are sort of good. I mean, she's no Michelle Yeoh. Absolutely not. Let's get back to this robbery of the pharmaceuticals. Uh, it Basically, it's being led by a man named Dr. Fong, who's there to steal a virus that Lucy's mom had created when she was a scientist before she died. The virus is a self-replicating virus like so i guess it just keeps going and it restores dying cells to their original state and essentially stops or reverses the aging process a fountain of youth virus if you will i wasn't sure at first if it was just your skin but it's not right it's your entire body everything all your organs your blood everything's rejuvenated right that's the implication it's a pretty good virus um and there they need to and she really wants to stop it hong kong forces wants to stop it from getting out because they're worried that eternal youth will, be, youth will be dangerous to the world and not because of overpopulation or the things you think would be why it would be bad that people live forever. They're worried that it will cause the world to be thrown into anarchy because people will be so excited to be young, they'll start killing each other for it. Yeah, it's a bit far-fetched. The hysteria of the Fountain of Youth. I think that it would probably go a bit bananas if it was like to actually... 
like people are very intense about their skincare. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> On a separate note, though, do, and I, I mean, I, I can't expect too much of this sort of TV movie, but do they they'd ever explain at any point how this process actually works? Right. Because do they imply that it just halts the aging process or that you can keep getting younger and younger? Because if you kept taking it, wouldn't you end up being like 10 years old or younger? It seems to halt at a certain point. It seems to like get you to your prime and halt there is what they is this sort of what they imply. So what would be everyone's prime? Like 32? Is that the prime? 28? <laughs> 21. 29? 30, 32. Like 22, 23. 20, that young, huh? That's the prime. For like skincare? Mm. Yeah. When did you look your best, Jordan? I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think my 50s will be it. Anyway, Lucy is unable to stop them and she's ambushed in her attempt to like stop this raid on this pharmaceutical company. And uh, the bad guys use a sonic grenade that like sends off, a, I guess, a sound wave that hurts people's ears to escape. And then Lucy is apparently exploded in a giant self-destruct function that was built into this building. I don't even remember that. There's a blocking thing that made me laugh at one point when she's getting chased by these guys because she runs down a hallway and gets to like a like a wall she can't get past and then she like fights them and then she just runs back the other way because there's not enough room in the set they're using and that made me laugh. <laughs> she's just running back and forth. She doesn't know where to go. Well, Jordan, do you think she's dead after this explosion in the in the in the factory? Do you think I was Cody worried. Phoenix is dead? Phoenix. I thought she'd rise again. <laughs> Anyway, cut to the Hollywood sign. We're going to LA for the rest of this movie. And they're really selling it that it's Hollywood. It's so fancy. Yeah. Well, it has to take place. It's important that it takes place in Hollywood because... Because where all the beautiful people live. Exactly. Well, fair enough. It's a theme, Jordan. It's called a theme. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Where do the most, like, self-obsessed people in the world live? Hollywood. Jordan, admit you're wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, And we catch up with a group of U.S. Marshals who are out hunting a bounty on a serial murderer who is worth $20,000. This is, like, honestly, I'm asking, is this film, like, was it supported by the U.S. Air Marshals? Because it really felt like a paid promotion for them. And it was gross. You think these are the Air Marshals? Oh, not Air Marshals. (laughs) Just Marshals. The U.S. Marshals. I was like, this is, like ridiculous I don't and know. also it felt like they were just like vigilantes it's free market law enforcement Jillian. That's, let's talk about that because this is what it, this movie is all about is in the future in the year 2020 the usa has switched from regular law enforcement to free market law enforcement it's terrifying so they didn't defund they went the opposite way they defunded everything but then gave it to private companies yes yeah, the kind of idea here is, uh, as someone says, formerly formerly low-paying public servants now compete with each other to capture bad guys for their five-figure bounties. So the more bad guys you can catch as a, as a marshal, the more money you will receive. Someone also implies the system has been a- applied to teachers and firefighters as well, but I didn't know how that would work exactly. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It's like, so for teachers, I'm like... So the amount of PhD students you eventually get when you're a grade school teacher, you get a little bump. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real long game for teachers, unfortunately. Always. Um, But yes, this this free market group of U.S. Marshals, we have a whole ragtag group of, I guess, sort of friends who do and don't work together in competition for these. So there's like five U.S. Marshals we meet right off the hop here that 
at first it's hard to tell who our hero is going to be, but uh, the first U.S. Marshal we meet is Kenny Baker. He's a redheaded former rock star <laughs> wannabe. And I guess the comic relief of this movie? No. And I actually thought he was going to be our star for the first couple minutes. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be the star of the show. And then when we meet the actual guy who's the lead, I thought, give me Kenny back. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Because this Kenny was in the whole bit with the CN Tower. That was him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the first person we meet. And it does feel like this is going to be his movie. He loves iPads. Well, uh, I don't know if you guys caught this. I'm sure you did later, but there's a little bit of world building here where they talk about why his name is Kenny. Apparently, everyone's making fun of him because his parents named him for some cartoon character who just wouldn't stop dying. Oh. I didn't even catch that, but hilarious. Me neither. Did you miss that? Did you miss when they said he's named after Kenny from South Park, a show that apparently in this world's 2020 is no longer a going concern? Everyone's (laughs) forgotten about it. But you know what they haven't forgot about? Tomb Raider 7. <laughs> I love how much you guys enjoyed this movie. This is silence on the other end of the <laughs> Did you see though? Did you see on the sign though, Tomb Raider 7? Someone decided that that video game system would just, video game would just keep going and going and going. It's not the video game. That's the movie. Oh, I thought it was the video game. How many, no one cared about that movie, did they? I did. I loved Lara Croft Tomb Raider. <laughs> so much that you said the whole title. They didn't quite get it right though. There's only been three Tomb Raider movies, not seven by the year 2020. Mm, fair enough. Correct. Uh, if it was the video game, Jordan, there have been about 12 of those video games. So have they, they would have okay, been way so behind. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Britney Spears is on a bus, though. Yep. That was a really great moment for me. I think that was my highlight. We will see in this opening that a bus drives by with a Britney Spears comeback tour on the side of it, which I was just like, hey, good swing. Yeah, I was I was like, this is about, yeah, this movie knows what's up. <laughs> They gave some minimal effort to the world building, so you got to give it to that. All right, all right. Uh, so our second bounty hunter we're going to meet, our second U.S. Marshal, is named Conchita Flores. Played by Lexa Doig. A Canadian genre superstar. We know her best as Cowgirl from Tech War. <laughs> yeah. One of those actors where if you see a Canadian, see a movie with them in it, you go, ah, I know where this was filmed. And when we get to meet her, she, I guess, is walking out of a shop about to track down this uh, bounty, and she's uh, accosted by two creeps who proposition her as her introduction. Yeah, I I was like, great, cool. Just some objectification right off the bat. But you get to see she's she's tough and streetwise, and she doesn't take no guff. Yeah, they have these sticks that are, like, they're weapons that they use. And I don't really understand what they are. But then they also send out distress signals. They do a lot. Well, I'll get into the tech in a little bit here. Let's All let's right. meet our third U.S. Marshal, Sarge McSweeney. It's a good name. Yeah. So his when they said Sarge, I assumed that was his rank. But I looked it up. It's his name. His name's Sarge. Yeah, Sarge McSweeney. A good future 2020 name. So if he's like a lieutenant or something, it's a real catch-22 sort of situation, right? Exactly, exactly. He is, of all the marshals, his speciality is using sniper rifles to sit in the CN Tower and, I guess, shoot the, shoot the bounties he's after? Yeah, that's his specialty. He, although we do see later on, and not to ruin anything, is that apparently his his rifle can just be, like, auto-set to, like, look for people. I'm like, why is he even bother sitting there then? Just leave the rifle. Go home. He just sits there, reads a little magazine, lets the rifle do its work. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, after we meet all of our U.S. Marshals, we finally meet the protagonist of the movie, Jake Hawkins, who pulls up in a sports car, looking a little bit greasy in a leather jacket with a big old dirty hairy revolver. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they I thought wanted his to... name was Randall. Yes, yeah, Jake Randall. It's not Hawkins? No. 
Really? I remember Hawkins, too, though. Oh, anyways, on IMDb, it says Jake Randall. I remember them calling him Hawkins the entire movie, but maybe I've lost my mind. (laughs) Either way, they want to go for this sort of, like, uh, lone cowboy sort of kind of guy, because he's got, like, a holster on his side for his dart laser gun, but I don't know if it is that cool. He, I honestly, when they introduced him, I did not think he was going to be the lead because he kind, he looked very smarmy to me. I thought he was going to be like kind of a jerk character, but uh, as as we come to know very quickly, no, he's a he's a good guy. He's on our side. He's one of our friends. I think they should have uh, right off the bat had a line of dialogue that mentioned that he was an android, and it would have made his acting made a lot more sense. That's a great idea because he was just so flat. I <laughs> couldn't even. Wow. Because I agree, I didn't think that he was going to be the main character. And then, like, as the movie kept going, I was like, this guy still? Are we still with you? Are you the Are you the main? And then I was, like, on IMDb being like, oh, no, he's the main character. <laughs> <laughs> These marshals track down bad guys using a new sort of, I guess, future technology where they have tablets in which they can see a map of the, a map of the city they're looking around in. And their target is always highlighted on it because of a uh, technology a satellite in the sky that they refer to as god the global orbit no what is it orbital detection very close the geostationary orbital detection system there it is it can read barcodes and brainwaves from space so you can't hide from god Mm. yeah which just makes you want to (laughs) barf why were the all the police officers or u.s marshals or whatever they are why were they so excited about watching bounties and stuff? Like they were reacting to it like a touchdown had happened because they're always watching stuff on a big screen and they're like, new bounty. And they're all like, ah! like, okay, guys, it's calm down. It's crazy. It's literally like they're at NASA and they've fucking landed on the moon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, guys, calm down. I think there'll be another bounty in five minutes. <laughs> I know. They're very excited. Like, uh, I guess because it's free market, everyone's so excited to chase down this money. It's like a game show to them. All these, all these U.S. Marshals in their headquarters. I mean, even when we see later, they get to watch replays of people getting taken down by the bounties, and they just like cheer it on. They love their jobs. They love the killing. It is very American, you know, to think about like the idea that they're all up against each other, and that it is like you make. Free market. Manifest destiny. Yeah, like it's all on you. I did think this is one of the best ideas the writers came up with, the idea of this free market law enforcement. It was the funniest, weirdest idea, and it it worked for this movie. If worked is what you, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about worked, but it it happened. (laughs) I liked it. I liked the concept. This was one of the fun parts I thought of the movie. Um, At any rate, Kenny, our redheaded friend, manages to track down the bounty in alley only to get beaten up by this serial murderer. And uh, our hero Hawkins swoops in to shoot this man down to collect the bounty with a pithy one-liner, nighty-night. Yeah, and he delivers it in possibly the worst way that any actor could ever deliver a line. You didn't like you didn't like the camera pushing in on his face after he no. shoots him and just delivering that line? Like, he might as well have screamed it. <laughs> that would be more interesting, at least. Like, nighty-night! Like, well, that's a different choice. Instead of cardboard. Oh, yeah. Well, this gets into the tech that you were mentioning with these sticks you saw earlier, Jillian. Um, Apparently, in the year 2020, someone has discovered a switch inside of human beings, which basically turns them off. It basically makes you catatonic. And they've taken this technology and placed it inside of bullets. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I didn't under- fully understand what's happening because the bullets seem to, like, in this first shot, we see the bullet fired. And then a little helicopter spins out the back of it. 
and like drives it forward they're supposed to be darts though i did look it up that's that was supposed to be the point of this is that i think it was also so they could get a pg rating is that no one actually gets killed they get just get incapacitated yeah every time you're shot you get knocked out but i was just like you're still getting shot by a high projectile object like you're still getting shot but then they also said like that you know a lot of these bounties are wanted dead or alive that's true true. but you all you gotta sleep bullets (laughs) so i guess the the idea behind that tech is that whatever thing that you that they trigger in a sleeper hold you know that that is what it manifests Mm. yeah something like that because they also have their sticks which is funny because they can shoot you and put you to sleep but you also have a stick a like baton that they call a switch stick yeah and with that you can zap someone you've shot with a sleep bullet and wake them back up but you can also just zap them again and put them back into unconsciousness well it's a little shorthand for the show to be able to just to have characters come in and out based on what they need but it is weird that all the technology kind of does the same thing. It's like, what does your gun do? It knocks people out, wakes them up. What does your stick do? Knocks people and wakes them up. What does you know? What does the screen do? It knocks people and wakes them up. It's the it's the future. That's why free market uh, law enforcement's okay now because you can't kill anyone. You just put them into a nice cozy sleep. But you can, you can kill them. There must be some uh, side effects though. Of, like the poor uh, Lucy in this, who gets shot like I think eighty five times. She must have some long term effects of this. She has like a nail, has a heart murmur. <laughs> I mean, there must be some problem with knocking someone out unconscious and holding them in a legal stasis indefinitely. The stasis is weird, especially like when it went to that, I guess, where they, the police headquarters, which is just like this giant a warehouse. warehouse. Of people. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is not. <laughs> you know what I like about that? And I know we're jumping ahead a little bit because Lucy's going to at one point be in there knocked out, but she has all her clothes off. Yeah, when you go there, they strip you down. <laughs> Just in case, I guess, right? I mean, law enforcement has a long history of sexually assaulting people, so I think it's probably just that. It did seem yeah. rife for abuse. Um, but yes, this is sort of the technology that allows them to take down bad guys and zap them. So Hawkins or Randall, depending on what his name is, uh, captures the bounty, turns him in, but we know he's our hero and a good guy. When he splits that $20,000 with old redheaded Kenny, and Kenny feels a little bit better yeah. about his day. He's blown away, actually. I think he's like, I can't believe it. And it's that real save the cat moment where you're like, this guy, he is our hero. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. a good guy. And I and I was very upset at that moment. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not him. <laughs> Give me Kenny. Um, next thing you know, we're jumping to a fancy pool party. And we're, we're hanging out with a couple on a second day. Yes, so arbitrary. And then that they end up getting stripped down. And that was my favorite part of the party. It's, it's, we introduced the character Aurora, who's the head of this pharmaceutical company. That'd be correct, right? Yes. Which I guess is also like sort of cosmetics line. And she sort of gives this big speech about how awesome she is and how, I don't know, how awesome her company is. But while she's doing it, she's walking by these, you know, attractive pool goers and just cutting off their clothes and they're into it that's what our parties are all about that's that's why people come (laughs) they literally come (laughs) (laughs) like this scene starts off with two characters who we'll never see again having a conversation i was trying to figure out who they were and we don't meet aurora for like 10 minutes and like they're having this conversation they're like 
well, it's nice of you to bring me this pool party. And she's like, you don't know what you're in for. I hope you wore your clean underwear. And I was just like, what is how? Ha- why does this? Why is she so worried? And the guy is like scandalized. He's like, it's only our second date. I don't have to wear <laughs> clean underwear yet. <laughs> but I was couldn't figure out what was happening because she was very excited for this weird pool party that this woman throws. And she's like, you don't know what you're in for. And I'm just like, what is this going to be? What is about to happen at this pool party? But what it is is, yeah, Aurora likes people's bodies. Because she's into, what did you call it, Jordan? Your your physical form. Oh, oh, it, she's well, she's into flaunting your body. Flaunting your body, yes. And so when she gives her speech about how the human body's perfect, she pulls out a big, threatening pair of scissors and just starts cutting everyone's clothes off. They're like scissors designed only for cutting ribbons at like opening yes, ceremonies. They're like mayoral. Yeah, mayor all scissors. scissors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, I have to say, like, Aurora is played by, like, the legendary Canadian actress, Christina Cox. Like, she's probably, besides um, Dennis Akiyama, who is legendary as well as Dr. Fong, who... Everyone at home is, like, these household <laughs> names. You <laughs> see Dennis Akiyama and you're... Cause, He's in a I lot. mean, I didn't... I did not remember his name, but I was like, oh, my God, who is he? And then I sadly found out that he passed away in 2018 from a rare form of cancer, like aggressive. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, because he's been in like, he's just a good actor. But yeah, Christina Cox, she comes like Aurora comes out there and you're like, but what is your like, what is the point of you? And then when she talks about that, she and you're like, oh, okay, she's the villain here because she's selling the virus. She, she will be selling the virus. She self-made millionaire, started selling makeup on the internet and really like saw the future coming. So she's now is like everyone loves her. They want to come to her cool parties and get their clothes cut off. Uh, that guy's date was right. His pants were immediately mm-hmm. cut off with the pair of scissors. They were. Which you should warn someone before you take them there because what's he going to go home in? I mean, and it was like, except for that guy, it was like all women who were just like being like low-key scandalized but also like oh it's like guys consent like it's a thing <laughs> hey they knew what they came from <laughs> um but yes she is there because she is meeting with dr fong from hong kong he's got the briefcase that has the virus inside of it and they're clearly up to something they're going to take this virus they're going to market it they're going to sell it to people people are going to live forever but not for a little bit. Let's give it a few days. Let's not rush into this plan too much because our heroes have not heard about it yet. There's some logistics to work out. That's why. There's some logistics to work out. And this is when we get to see that Lucy is back from the grave because she steals old Dr. Fong's limo in an attempt to, I guess, capture him and that virus. But what Lucy's not aware of is that, as everyone knows, rich people have a button in the back of their limousines, which sets off their driver's airbag just for the lull. I know. So I wasn't sure. And, uh, in what sense would that technology ever be useful? You anticipate a crash before the car does, so you go, airbag time. But not for you, <laughs> just for your driver. I thought it was going to be like a eject, like his seat was ejected. Like, that's what I was assumed was going to happen. Then I was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> No, it's just it's just so that Lucy gets hit in the face with an airbag. Dr. Fong's able to escape, and now he knows Lucy's still alive. So Dr. Fong meets up with a, uh, I guess, a corrupt member of the Hong Kong security force who's working for him, but in L.A. It's very, very confusing what their jurisdiction is. But essentially, they've decided to, now that they know Lucy's alive, they're going to use deepfake technology to create a video painting Lucy as a terrorist of some sort. Mm-hmm. They're going to hand that over to the marshals, 
so that they can create a dead or alive bounty on her for $1 million. I think it's 500000 They said it's a $500,000 bounty and the Chinese government will add another 500000 But I didn't know where the first 500000 was coming from. U.S. The U.S. The U.S. government. Oh, so there you go. Both governments. They're, they're, it's a team, team effort. And uh, those greedy marshals, they can't wait to get that million dollars. And Jake isn't sure about things. It's hard to tell that because he can't act. But they they cut to him being like, oh, I don't know, something's he something's hinky here. He can't figure out shit. He's so brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I did like is this: this whole thing is happening with Doctor Fong and his security guy, like discussing what they're gonna do about Lucy being alive again. But they shoot it all like Game of Thrones style. So they're just sitting in a room watching holograms of scantily clad women for no apparent reason. Yeah, what? what? I didn't understand that. It's just like the Game of Thrones thing. It's like, oh, we got a bunch of exposition. Let's just like fill it with scantily clad women. That'll keep people's attention. Very 2000. It was very unclear as to what, because I didn't even know what, like they're like, "Uh, let's look at a different one. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what are you doing with these holograms? Just, you gotta watch them and you gotta leave later. Mm. It's LA. It's what what a time. Yeah, it's just L.A. Don't worry. Anyway, basically what's happening is the marshals are now uh, tracking Lucy down. And I guess because they have God, there's no, there's no like, mystery to how you find these people. Like, Lucy basically walks out of a screening of Tomb Raider 7. And uh, old Sarge McSweeney is waiting outside for her with his sniper rifle. Um, and the only reason she gets away is a panhandler stops her. Who has his panhandler's license. Yes, she has a panhandler's license. She's illegally licensed panhandler it's because she's a veteran of the colombian war she just wants to swipe with that money stick <laughs> <laughs> um but as this poor panhandler's as for money she gets shot in the back by old sarge and uh lucy's on the run i have to say though the lady who played the veteran she made the most of her scene she was like you know what my character is manic <laughs> She did really stand out. I thought she did a good job. She wasn't dressed enough like a panhandler for me. She just looked like a regular human being, but she she delivered. Yeah, I think and so, too. And they let you know that in 2020, there are licenses. Yeah. It's important world building. It's like when those people on the subway busk. You have to have your license or you're not allowed to busk on the subway. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was said in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Lucy takes off. She's she's running from what she now knows are marshals after her, and she heads into a nightclub, but it's a daytime nightclub because everyone's there, but it's daytime outside. I have a question about the, <laughs> yeah. the club. It's it's pretty well populated, and, and stuff's going to happen here, but they, they pan across some people dancing, and I think the effect was supposed to be that they are dancing in a VR land because they're dancing with other people, possibly, but... I think maybe the stage direction to the actors wasn't that clear because I wasn't sure what they were doing. Was that was that what everyone else got from that? I think it is. Like, there's a live band playing and regular people are just regular dancing. But there's also just a section of the bar where you can just wear VR gear. And I think it's unrelated to it. Like, I think they're just like, one of them's on a roller coaster. One of them's playing some sort of game in VR. Like, mm. for some reason, you also go and play VR inside of a nightclub. It's like for the the guys who's, like girlfriends brought them here (laughs) right he's got to keep playing call of duty 19 even when he's out of the house yeah exactly exactly um and of course when you're at this bar you can let a a dude at the bar buy you a cold fusion with a cherry in it if you have time i like the drink that was the blue drink and it was like it was a little bit of dry ice on it i love me some futuristic drinks very steamy Uh, but lucy uh beelines to the women's washroom which i guess to hide where there's just like all these women in there and they're all talking in like future slang. 
which I, I couldn't make out all of it, but like the couple lines of future slang I got, I was in love with. Like one of the women is just like, there's no way he's downloading my codex de facto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I love the idea that people walking around yelling de facto in the future and I guess downloading their codex maybe is getting their number. I mean, they must have had codex like back in 2000, but like I get, I like that, that everyone has their own codex uh, software that is like unique to them and that if someone becomes close to you, you they can download it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, but also in this bathroom, unfortunately for Lucy, is the U.S. Marshal Flores. She uh, She's also in there to catch her. I guess she's tracked her to this bathroom. There's a big martial arts fight in the bathroom. She also does a very timely Ricky Ricardo impersonation. <laughs> hey, Lucy. It's still killing in 2020. <laughs> They don't remember what South Park is, but they remember I Love Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it basically ends with Lucy uh, kicking her ass, throwing her into a bathroom stall, where we get the classic sound effect of a toilet flushing. <laughs> oh, speaking of, um, I did write down here that there is a truly insane sound design in this film. And the foley <laughs> in everything is just manic and poorly done. I thought it was very over the top, but I was just like, somebody just decided to go for it. Like the scenes where they're at the air marshal, not air marshal, U.S. marshal headquarters, aka like Toronto City Hall or something. And like you can hear like murmurs of people's like reactions in the background. Like, oh, she's this, this, boop, boop, boop. I was like, this is the worst I've ever heard. (laughs) It's building the world. I, I liked how insane it was. It felt like everyone knew this movie wasn't good. So they're just like, I don't know, just have fun. Just do whatever you want. True, true. <laughs> um, so Lucy escapes the bathroom fight only to step into the nightclub where our redheaded U.S. Marshal Kenny is waiting for her. And he hauls out a huge automatic assault rifle and just starts mowing down the people in the nightclub like it's a massacre. I think it was supposed to be almost played for laughs later on because he sort of just starts indiscriminately shooting people and he doesn't get her. And we're going to like, I think it's an, a scene or two later where we have a lawyer come and kind of clean up stuff. And it's like, was that supposed to be funny? I think the idea is supposed to show how how these bounty hunters are perhaps out of control in this future because watching him mow down all of those people with a assault rifle was very dark. Though I did like that one bouncer uh, really does his job. Uh, as soon as he as soon as he starts killing people, the uh, not killing them, putting them to sleep, uh, the bouncer steps up and then knocks Kenny the fuck out. Yeah, he does not care that he's a U.S. marshal. But yes, as you mentioned, Jordan, it, this leads to a great scene. I think a couple scenes later, where the U.S. marshal field lawyers show up and start waking up all these people that have basically been shot down in this nightclub and offering them an instant five thousand dollar settlement for being illegally shot in a nightclub. It actually made me think. I don't know if this is financially a better system than what we currently have. There's bounties the government has to pay for. There's all these lawsuits they have to pay for. I don't think it works. I think it's a point Kenny talks about having personal liability insurance for how bad he is at his job. (laughs) It is this wild west. Uh, This is what I mean when I like this. For some reason, they put so much thought into how this free market sleeper bullet U.S. Marshal would work. The idea there's field lawyers showing up and giving instant giving instant settlements to people. And when that one guy's just like, I'm not settling with you. This was a violation of my rights. 
uh, the lawyer's just like, all right, well, the uh, lawsuit uh, queue is about 20 years long. So if you want to if you want to wait, uh, you can or you can take this five thousand dollars now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's still one more marshal in this ragtag group of marshals we haven't seen in this chase of Lucy yet. And that is, of course, old Hawkins and or Randall. What's his first name? We will call him his first Jake. name. Jake. Jake sees her going into a parkade. So he chases her in her his car. And then that becomes a foot chase along the outside of the parkade, at which point he's knocked off the side in order to give her a save the cat moment. She has to save him from falling to death. And this sort of builds this like really loosely put together idea that like, oh, maybe she is a good guy and Jake needs to take her more seriously. Yeah, but it's sort of thing she's like, uh, she sort of loosely explains to him kind of what's happening. He doesn't really buy it. So he shoots her with a dart and knocks her out, which I think is the first of her dart sleeps. <laughs> yes, but he doesn't take her into the marshal's office yet. He takes her back to his home and wakes her up so she can see his cool retro CRTC monitor that's now a fish tank. That's got to be inappropriate, <laughs> right? To, to knock out a uh, criminal of some sort and then bring him back to your place. Like, that's creepy. Free market. This place is like the Wild West. Like, you, I feel like you can do whatever you want. I agree with Julian. I think you can do whatever you want. Um, there's a whole bunch, this whole scene in this house is just a lot of blah, blah, blah about plot stuff. But what we kind of see is Hawkins is, I guess we can tell he's going to fall in love with her because that's this kind of movie. But he takes a quick second to pick up his dead wife's photo to stare at it longingly. So we know he's conflicted. I love that. And it was just because he can't emote at all. It's just like, oh, he's looking at a photo. I guess we're supposed to, as an audience, do the work here to realize that he's sad. They'll, they'll slowly fill in the details here that she was killed in the 2008 Colombian War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks a lot about Colombia. Which also, uh, I like the swing they took, the writer took here, is when people talk about 2008, they refer to it as 2008. <laughs> uh, but yes, apparently this was a uh, U.S. incursion into Colombia for a literal war on drugs. I mean, it sounds right. It sounds like... <laughs> Didn't go well. You have panhandlers now that are there because of the Colombian War, and you have dead wives. This is a lot like Tech War. Do you remember Tech War also had a South yeah. American War? Like, all of this stuff seems so much like Tech War to me. I was crazy. It is a lot like Tech War. You're right. But this scene basically ends with uh, Lucy now gets to grab Hawk, or, uh, Jake's zap stick, knocks him unconscious, and she's back on the run. But I think you implied this earlier too, Jillian. Apparently the uh, zap stick also sends off a signal if it's used on its owner. Yes. Because Kenny's busy buying a $49 hot dog uh, and he gets a signal telling Inflation. Him... What's that? Inflation. It's crazy. It might have been only $46. My bad. Yeah, 46 bucks for Maybe a hot dog. Maybe it's made out of like foie gras or something. Mm. It was just a street meat. Just some street meat on a corner. The guy said uh, that's just the price. <laughs> Anyway, he gets a notification that uh, old old uh, Jake has been knocked out by his own switch stick. So all the marshals converge on his house and uh, they immediately see that uh, Lucy's there. And unfortunately for the rest of them, McSweeney finally gets the sniper shot right this time. He hits Lucy and he's going to get that million dollar bounty and he's not going to share it. Sorry, we're friends, but we're not that good friends. Yeah, they set up this sort of conflict between all of them as if like... One, you care about these characters, or it's really just so later on when they team up, you're like, I'm finally glad these amazing three-dimensional characters found a way to get along. But then I remember when he did actually get her, all I could think about was like, well, you ain't going to get there first. That's a lo- You got a long way to go, bro. 
It's true. His sniper shot is into a suburban neighborhood where Jake's house is, but it seems to also be off of the CN Tower. Everything's off of the CN Tower in this world, in, in, in Hollywood. He seems like he's just always on top of that tower, but like they just like, it can see the entire city. Maybe he's God. <laughs> he's a geosynchronous orbital uh, defense platform. Yeah. So they basically caught, she's caught, McSweeney's getting the bounty, and then back at old Jake's house, none of his Marshall friends come to wake him up. He is still <laughs> unconscious laying on the floor. The person who comes and gets him out of his unconsciousness is this gentleman named Sasha who has been like peppered throughout the movie as a person that Lucy will call. She's a, He's a childhood friend. He's been catfishing her. He looks like this like cute youngish man that she's known since childhood on this like video chat platform on her phone. He's showing up to help her escape trouble by waking Jake back up. But when we see him finally, it turns out he is just like a pudgy bald man. Yeah, he's balding. He's got hair. He's got some. He's got hair. He is. So what we come to learn is this man who's been catfishing this woman since childhood needs Jake's help to rescue her from being captured. And he's um he's like a a hermit. Like we find out before this when Lucy's talking to him on her Game Boy that (laughs) she uh, that he doesn't leave the house. That he hasn't left the house in however many years. And so that's like, he will do anything for Luce if he leaves his apartment to get to Jake. Yeah, he yeah he's like her man in the chair. Like, he's her tech guy. He does all yeah. the Googling she needs. What is that? He's her cue? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Also, don't you think Lucy missed a turn, though, when she knocked Jake out? When he was th- laying there all the time, she should have drawn a penis on his face or something. <laughs> You know, a little extra, a little extra kick while he's down. She should have just cut off his penis. <laughs> oh, jeez, Jillian. <laughs> <laughs> See, twist. That's a twist. <laughs> that is a twist. Um, but yes, Hawkins now has to rush off to rescue Lucy from the Department of Justice sleep storage facility, which is where everyone is sleeping in the nude. And you're right, George, everyone there should just have penises drawn on their face by the guards. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but he's very easily able to rescue her. He arrives just in time. Dr. Fung had sent an assassin, I guess, to kill her in the sleep facility, but stops that guy, wakes her up, finds her some clothes somewhere, and they escape the sleep facility to figure out what's really going on with this clearly corrupt bounty. Unfortunately, of course, for Jake, uh, they get him on security camera, so now now the U.S. Marshal Service is putting him under a bounty, and they're jacking the price up to $2 million. And unfortunately for the viewers, we have to see more of Jake. Yes, and like as if that man could be worth a million dollars. Give me a break. <laughs> what would you give for him, Jillian? A nickel. You'd pay $46 for a hot dog and only a nickel for Jake? <laughs> I would. <laughs> At least that hot dog would satisfy me. Oh. oh. <laughs> Uh, but yes now uh, Jake and Lucy are on the run they put on tinfoil hats so they can hide from God literal actual tinfoil hats it's a scene where they make them is this where he sprays off the barcode off the hat yes and put tinfoil in it there you go it's it's a classic move it works every time if anything can stop God it's tinfoil and she is really against the hat and like the whole time I've been like girl you are so easily identifiable can you just like change put a wig on or like change your hairstyle or something and then he finally gets her to put on this dumb hat (laughs) it's a very blossom-esque hat it is a blossom-esque hat (laughs) 
So now they're both on the run. They're hiding from God. They make the most logical decision. They go to visit Jake's grandpa, who is a creepy old is man. like 20 years older than Jake. He's not that much like I, it looked like his dad more than his grandpa. I thought it was his dad. And then he was a gramps. Do you like how angry he was at the TV? Well, that's it. Uh, he's at home watching TV like every old person does. And you know what? He's tired of all this sex on TV. All that's sex. there. All that's on sex. TV is. What is it? It's, <laughs> that's what he keeps saying. It's a laundry detergent commercial with a lady in a bikini. It's a talk show that's introducing the flight attendants who work on the space shuttle who all wear bikinis. And then the TV show he flips to is just softcore pornography. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it is like notes on a theme of that in this world that we live in. Like, you gotta flaunt your body. Yeah, everything's a little over-sexualized. And it's very funny because you're right. The grandpa's just like disgusted. He's like, sex, sex, sex. He's like, I don't want to watch this. So he flips the channel to the violence channel. (laughs) (laughs) And that pretty much sums up America, I think. What I I did like, though, is the violence channel. That's the only one you need an adult access code to uh, get to, to watch the real violence. Otherwise, you can't can't access it. Whereas I wanted the movie where he spent the next 45 minutes trying to figure out what his access code was. I did think there's a missed opportunity for him and Jake to be constantly having a conversation about that when Jake shows up. She's like, I can't access it. <laughs> We've gone through this a million times. It's 6969. Nine. <laughs> mostly this scene with Grandpa, though, between Jake and Lucy and Grandpa, it's just mostly more exposition. It's like when they went to his house. The only things that really happen here is uh, Grandpa is a bit of a, I guess he's a creep. Uh, he doesn't like sex on TV, but he is a real creep when it comes to live women. <laughs> Yes. I had a question, though. Right off the bat, when they come into the place, Lucy and Jake and uh, the old guy's all pleased because he thinks Jake's kind of on a date and he's moving on with his life. And she's immediately like, I'm hungry. Where's your kitchen? And she goes to the kitchen and then they have a scene and they cut back to it where she's like rifling through things. But to what effect? Nothing came from that. What was she doing? She got an apple, didn't she? No, but she was rifling through cupboards and stuff like she was like looking for like a weapon or something. That's what I thought. The scene I thought was she was be. looking for knives. Yeah. And then she just comes something. out with an apple. No, yeah, she's just looking for that apple. And, and then but then she said she asks the gramps and then he's like, I don't keep those in the kitchen. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. She she knew he'd have weapons, but he doesn't have them there. And it's weird. There's this real implication because he's an old cop. Did he just have like many lethal weapons hanging around his house? And later we'll find out he does have just grenades. Yeah. <laughs> I do like, though, that Jake mentioned she was like, so, oh, he was also in law enforcement. He's like, yeah, I have six generations of cops. I was like, six generations? Like what, the 1800s? Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that that was an interest because like there's this moment of that Lucy is into mindfulness and meditation um, and that and she believes in reincarnation because she's a Buddhist. And he's like LOLing at her being like, I loved it. He was so dismissive. She's like, I'm Buddhist. He's like, Pfft. I was like, okay, it's like, thanks. Um, that's just like a very standard religion. Like, relax, buddy. Like, yeah. it's ancient. <laughs> and and then, um, but I actually liked that moment when she said after he's like, oh, six generations of cops. And he's like, and you don't believe in reincarnation? I was like, oh, bitch, nailed it. I thought that was like an insightful moment. There are a few moments like that. I also was just like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And I like I thought about that. I was like, oh, I would have never kind of considered that like to be reincarnation. But it absolutely is like you're just kind of like mimicking what you know and what's inside you. And yeah, it was. 
Yeah, that was the my one aha moment of Codename <laughs> Phoenix. My my aha moment was when uh, Grandpa's complaining about how he's dying of a disease, and uh, Jake's just like, "You don't have a disease, Grandpa." He's like, "Yeah, I got a disease. It's called being older than shit." <laughs> yes, I love that moment. <laughs> like, you tell him, Grandpa. You know what he could use? He could use some products from Aurora. <laughs> That no. would have been a good twist. He says very specifically, he's just like, he's like, Your, Grandpa, it's fine. He's like, no, no, it's good. Having a disease gets women's sympathy, and that's how I seduce them. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> I was just like, oh, Grandpa. <laughs> anyway, we kind of are at, once they kind of finish this Grandpa scene, they're like, let's hang out here till Sasha calls, because Sasha's got some information for us. And Sasha basically has been Googling around trying to figure out this conspiracy. And what he comes back with is like, hey, I was looking into the virus, I guess, that youngifies people. I found out when your mom created 20 years ago, there's a photo of her lab team. And hey, that lady, Aurora, she was your mom's lab assistant and she hasn't aged in 20 years. Yep. Solved She's it. like a regular Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> he still looks like he was in that Nintendo commercial. He looks fucking great. But they know with this information, they decide to head out to the, an Aurora Enhancement Products office where they pretend they want to use the spa in order to infiltrate her operation. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. And I know they go in and the lady's like, what do you want? And they choose the aroma engagement package. <laughs> this is a great scene to me because it's so comp. It's them in towels in a steamy room. And every 30 seconds, another blast of steam comes out. So they're having to organize themselves in such a way that when the steam blasts out and, like, blocks the camera that's watching, the security camera watching them, they will sneak out of their bed, (laughs) plant a secondary, like, feed onto it so it looks like they're still in their room so they're able to escape and sneak around. So that sequence goes on for two or three minutes of them, like, using the steam to sneak around the room and then getting back to the bed before the steam goes off and, like, this whole thing. And when they finally set up the feed to block the camera... They get up and leave, and there's just a second camera in the room that they didn't do anything about. And security's immediately, like, their plan, go, like, we have to watch them execute this plan for, like, five minutes. And then it's just, like, immediately, there's like, oh, wait, there's a second camera they didn't block, so I guess they're caught. I was, this is where I really was just like, I can't. Like, <laughs> I had, I checked out at this moment. I was like, what is going on? Got a lot of time to kill left. We're not at an hour and a half. I know. <laughs> I thought the point of this was going to be that... Because they clearly want to have these two people have a sort of will-they-won't-they they relationship as they progress. And I thought this was going to be that sort of classic, oh, they both have to dress up and pretend to be a couple. And maybe they'll actually find they have real feelings about themselves. Now, that's cliched and being done to death. However, it almost it was desperate in this scene for it. Because, in, like you're saying, Luke, it ends up becoming this sort of like just time waster of, here's a plan. It doesn't work. So anyways, the last couple minutes of your life, not getting those back. <laughs> agree they're immediately caught caught by aurora's henchmen who are just like uh spa ladies spa ladies who are also her henchmen they all wear um shiny purple dresses that's how you know they work for aurora. also should have been robots come on very 2000 the like mini dress and the uh baby colors and like glitter shiny and like everyone's got like the high updo and like everyone looks like they're going to prom but like in a little skimpy dress and that's that's the uniform when you work at uh, aurora enhancement products and when they knock them out they bring them to aurora's pool why is that like i know she has to make some grand entrance that's her also her office that's also her office. oh i see what a nice office with a pool 
Well, she's living in lockdown. It's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. The background of this is there's also a separate pandemic happening, but it doesn't really come up. But and everyone's like, well, okay, well, we'll survive that, but we got to stay young. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is where Aurora basically explains the entire plan around she's going to sell the virus to people by like putting in her beauty products, but they'll have to. It's not permanent. You'll have to re-up it so she'll make more and more money. And this is all of Dr. Fong's plan with her. So classic bad guy explains the plot. And she's just like, you see, I've already been using it. I don't I haven't aged in 20 years. And have you noticed some of my celebrity friends like Dick Clark and the Rolling Stones? Don't they look great, too? R.I.P. Dick Clark. Yeah. Yeah. They did not predict that correctly. Not hosting. Not hosting <laughs> New Year's Eve anymore. <laughs> but I have some real questions here because at this point in the movie, I can no longer make sense of what's happening. My understanding is there's a virus that keeps you young forever. Dr. Fong has just stolen it. It is thought to have been lost. He's just stolen it. And now they're going to use it to make a bunch of money by selling beauty products to keep people young forever. Great. I understand that entirely. But now we're to understand Aurora took this same virus 20 years ago into her body. She has not aged in 20 years and has also been sharing it over the course of that 20 years with Dick Clark. So... She already has access to a constant stream of this virus to keep young, to have done this. Like, Fong just showed up two days ago with the virus. I think she only has North American contacts. She's looking for some worldwide distribution. But then Fong is also giving her samples of the virus, and she's freaking out because she doesn't want to get old unless she gets it on a regular basis. But she's had it this whole time and has been using it. I couldn't make heads or tails of how this this conspiracy, like, really started falling apart for me here because I'm like... Well, she just has had the virus the whole time. And you said it was a self-replicating virus. Like, she can clearly just make as much of it as she wants. What does she need Fong for? I think they just need two bad guys. Yeah, agree. And that, like, there needs to be one Asian one and one American one. And it helps that it's, like, a man and a woman and that, like, he holds the upper hand over her in general I guess so. I just couldn't follow the logic. This is where the movie fell apart for me, you guys. I just couldn't. I couldn't this, do it This anymore. is exactly what I'm saying. I completely agree. This is when the movie... Abs- and I was like, okay, give me a break. The movie fell apart for me when Jake showed up. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> anyway, now that they're caught, they're obviously going to be taken off to be killed by the bad guys. Classic murder-suicide, they're going to make it look like. And they're also going to send some spa babes off to go kill Sasha, too, because you can't keep Sasha alive. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, how did Sasha? Like, how do they even know about Sasha? I don't know. <laughs> it's just so we can get a funny scene where Sasha opens his front door. This like pudgy balding man. He's just like, "You can't be here for me, spa babes." And why does it have to be the same people that work at the spa are also her assassins? Everyone has to have two jobs. Yeah, just like twenty twenty. It's a gig economy. <laughs> well, I think it's just like they had so little money that like everyone is in as many scenes because they just were like, Well, casting's over. <laughs> anyway, Jake and uh Lucy are taken off to a riverside abandoned playground for their execution, where you take anyone to get killed, I suppose. And of course, you know, Lucy uses her martial arts to break free, beat everybody up. She's literally like dodging bolts in this scene. Like she's like People are putting guns to the back of her head and she's like dodging around the bullets and she's able to basically rescue them both. She actually gets her handcuffs shot off yeah, too. Yeah, she's, she's really good at this and she saves them both. And the takeaway from Jake for this scene where she dodges bullets, breaks out of her handcuffs, saves them from like 12 armed men is for the rest of the movie, Jake will be pissed off at her that she can dodge bullets. He's just 
angry about, like at the end of the scene she goes he goes who are you woman <laughs> yeah because and it's honestly like i mean not to sound like the angry feminist but like it literally is just all these men cannot handle that women have any power or skill above them and and because she explains to him she's like i didn't dodge it i listened because this is how her mindfulness comes in and that she just is she ends up being able to listen to the squeeze of the trigger and knows exactly the moment to like do this epic like matrix swirl away and i was like oh yeah i get it girl but in world what were, what are we supposed to understand about jake's character in this because is there any other takeaway other than he's like a petulant child like even if you're watching this 20 years ago and you like him as a character isn't this a hard scene to get over that he's just like a whiny baby I thought it was going to imply something like we were going to the final reveal of the code name Phoenix was she's going to be like genetically modified or like there was some like some or she's a robot. I thought there's going to be a twist on that. That's why he was so upset by how powerful she was. But the ending was just like, oh, you're just mad that the lady saved your life. Yeah. Yes. He sucks. And that she's more capable than you. It was bizarre. But they, you know, they rush off because they got to go save Sasha as well. And when they get there, Sasha's fine. When the babe showed up, he just faked a heart attack and they left. <laughs> Which is epic. <laughs> I was just like, oh, those are bad assassins. But I guess they're just like, oh, I guess he did our job for us. So uh, see you later, body. <laughs> but this is like, yeah, they, basically the team's back together. They now know everything that's wrong. I, I think this is the first scene where Lucy finally finds out that uh, Sasha has been catfishing her for her entire life. She's totally cool with it. She's like, that's fine. But like, I think that there was a moment, like at the beginning, it was saying that it wasn't that they were just friends. Like she like Loki loved him and blah, blah, blah. And I thought that they were going to get together and that, and that, that was uh, Jake's competition with Sasha. And then Jake's like, Oh, whatever. He's a fuggo. So <laughs> I'm going to like, even when they see him on the little thing before he gets like outed as not being like a surfer dude, he's like, Oh, nice to see ya. Sasha and then she's just like I just see a good friend and I was like oh fuck off why can't this be like why can't you be like who cares what you look like I love you man that was what I was missing I was like it doesn't matter there's another line I think it's in this scene or the previous one too where um uh for no reason because they need to keep building that there might be a love story between Lucy and Jake where like he's angry and she's like who was the person that you lost you must have like you must have some like damage that I can help, and it's like, and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. It was my wife, and I was like, well, who cares? This whole thing, we've had two scenes of his wife that add nothing to his character or to the movie, and it's just like eh, these characters aren't good for each other. No one cares. Agree. You would prefer he get together with Sasha, the man who's been Absolutely. catfishing her for twenty years. <laughs> but like in a way that I think makes sense in this theme that you'd want to show and like it's pretty much like filters like he has a filter and like I that see. made sense to me that it wouldn't that it doesn't matter what you look like that like he you care about each other and you support each other and i was like that would be how this movie would have any redemption in my books thematically <laughs> that would not. make the most sense to you yes fair enough that's a very good reason uh to and overlook is this, is this the, the scene where uh sasha mentions that he also might have pooped himself yeah i was gonna bring that up this is also he's just like <laughs> They're waking him up and they're like, and not Sasha. Sasha doesn't say that. Sasha doesn't say that. It's Jake. Jake, Jake. Jake says, hey, Sasha, do you have clean underwear I can borrow? And I'm just like, <laughs> what is happening in the future with everyone's diet? Well, everyone's just 
pissing themselves because they're like, whoa, maybe maybe when you get the stick oh. and like maybe you pee yourself, which would make sense. That, that like, would make sense, would... actually. No, that's probably yeah. it. When you get knocked unconscious, you are definitely soiling yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the must, the mission must continue. Hawkins manages to send a message off to his Marshall friends, basically asking them for help in taking down the big conspiracy around this virus. They all storm this big business pitch meeting that Aurora and Dr. Fong are having. They're basically asking wealthy people to invest in the makeup virus that'll keep them young forever. But I just, again, I'm just like, why do you need investors? You're already a super wealthy person. What what is what is happening? Also, it's more like an NRA convention, am I right? Why? Well, but the, every single person has a gun three seconds later. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> There's a scene where they come in, and J- Jake comes in, and he's like, like gigs up, kids, and then he yeah, pulls guns a gun on them, and every single person in the place pulls a gun back on him. Oh. <laughs> I just noticed when uh, someone threw one of those sonic grenades down, it was Kenny's time to shine because since he's an ex-rock star, his hearing is not very good, so he's able to turn it off. <laughs> was that? I didn't even catch that. Me neither. That was his big hero moment is like everyone's ears hurt, but not Kenny's because he has ear damage from being a rock star. He's lost that frequency. <laughs> and I was like, his big moment has finally arrived. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. In this scene, all the other marshals manage to catch Aurora, but Dr. Fong gets away, so there's a big chase for Lucy and Jake. They run down to the docks. They all get in motorboats, and now it's a motorboat chase as well. Oh, I should mention, the part where they're chasing the boats and they're running down the bridge over the water, they're running toward the place where I had my prom in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Iconic. Yeah. You had your prom at that shitty ontario place building exactly yeah and it had a spinning dance floor and i have a very sad story about it but i'll tell you off the air (laughs) he does he does it's an amazing story the listeners are me writing in demanding to know (laughs) anyway they're in this boat chase now they're driving around the harbor so at some point off camera they went and got grenades from grandpa they're throwing grenades at the boat but none of the grenades they're all duds for some reason because they're old they're old grenades that's how it works (laughs) So many weird things are happening that, like, I, I was just like, what, what is happening now? They're jumping from boat to boat. They're getting into fistfights on boats. The virus in a briefcase flies off a boat and ends up in the water. One of the grenades finally explodes and kills Dr. Fong. And, like, they're like, well, I guess we've solved the day. And Lucy's like, well, let's go pick up the floating briefcase full of virus that's been the entire plot of this movie. And Jake's like, no, let's just leave it in the water and pretend it exploded. And she's like, okay. So we're supposed to believe as the viewer that the briefcase is what they're all they really want, even though they haven't really mentioned a specific briefcase, because I assume in this future they have the information for the virus or multiple sources of this virus that they're being. No, no, this is the only they said this is the only that's left. They thought it was destroyed. This is the only remaining sample that anyone knows about. And it's been in this briefcase the whole time. Yeah, it's so weird. And this has been the MacGuffin they've been chasing. And the movie ends with them, like, looking at it, floating next to them in the water. And they're like, let's not pick it up. (laughs) It felt like the reimagined Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which does does completely not do what uh, it's supposed to do in the film with the wands, etc. I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) My only assumption was they got to the end and they're like, should they pick up the briefcase and end this? They're like, no, we might do a sequel. Leave the briefcase in the water so someone else can find it. True, like Jumanji. In the sequel, all the fish are very young looking. They're like, wait a minute. They're all guppies. 
Yeah. <laughs> the stakes have never been higher. What's really important, though, is uh, that we know that uh, Jake and Lucy have fallen in love and they're going to go hang out. <laughs> but not even. They don't even kiss. No, well, they actually just didn't like each other that much. Clearly. <laughs> well, he keeps rubbing her. They just say, it's like, we are definitely in love, right? Yeah, and he's like cradling her. It's awful. It sucks. <laughs> but we go to the best scene of the movie, I think. You think so? Where we get to finally see Aurora's been put in a prison cell? Yeah. And she's crying to herself and she, and they're like, she's looking at a mirror. And why she's looking in the mirror is because she's gotten slightly older. Yeah, she. I guess we finally get to see what happens when the virus runs out. Is like, you are like still a very attractive old person. Yeah, because like Christina Cox is young. And so they had to like do, I don't even know. It's like they, I feel like they drew a couple lines on her face and she's like. <laughs> the greater hair. <laughs> but here's the thing. I know it's it, for the visual effect that she's aged but it, even in the this world with this technology let's say you're having a youth serum that makes you young again and you stop taking the serum won't you start aging at that point why would you suddenly rapidly age overnight like a pear like it doesn't make sense she should just be like she's like oh now i'm gonna start aging now that's unfortunate classic sci-fi trope just like in other world when that lady's uh makeup uh counter at the uh island exploded and then she aged yeah. immediately <laughs> you just age immediately that's why you got to keep taking it it's like um uh, in Stardust, the witches who are also, they need like the blood of a star and uh, they <laughs> classic blood of a star. Yeah, and if they don't have um, that it like it is pretty immediate but they yeah. just like become hags again. <laughs> again, I don't think she looks like a hag though. I think she looks no, like she an looks attractive great. young woman with some wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> the makeup department spent like 20 minutes on it. <laughs> Um, but we do get a cut to one final shot in this series over the TV movie. They're in the bullpen at the U.S. Marshal's office. The big screen is playing a big announcement that the $2 million, they've transferred it from Jake and Lucy to Dr. Fong and Aurora. And they're going to split the $2 million among our four bounty hunters and Lucy. So it's a five-way split of $2 million. Isn't that great? Everyone in the bullpen cheers. <laughs> I know. I wasn't sure why they're cheering. I'm like, they didn't get any money. Yeah. They're just so excited for our heroes. And we needed to know as viewers, we couldn't leave without this 30 second sequence where we knew who got the $2 million and if they split it five ways. <laughs> Crazy. What about Gramps? Like Gramps doesn't get a cut of that? I that, I was just like, why does Lucy get a cut? She's not a U.S. Marshal. <laughs> agree. But no, I think, I feel like the way that they, they did like a five like people, I feel like she may have like been recruited I, well, I, right, so I don't like, think she's recruited. I think you just like write your name on a form and be like, I'm it. I can kill <laughs> I people. I would like to collect bounties, please. Yeah. I like shooting sure. people. Yeah. I'm good at it, too. <laughs> she's good at dodging bullets, for sure. She is. They didn't have any awkward scene where like uh, she's like, hey, by the way, uh, uh, Kenny, remember when you uh, tried shooting me 800 times in that club? Yes. It's just everyone knows. It's just part of the job. It's yeah. nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> nothing personal. But that's it. That's the entire TV movie. I would say nothing is solved because the virus is still loose in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I I don't know. I feel like the idea of calling it a virus the whole time was like weird to me. I was like, is this a virus? But I like, I guess technically it was, but it felt wrong. It was just hand waving around like we want a fountain of youth. I guess this time we're calling it a virus. <laughs> yes. 
Well, because the idea when you think virus, you think something that's uh, uh, transmitted from person to person, but that's not what this is, right? Correct. This is an injection. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't, which doesn't make sense. It's just like, if it's a self-replicating virus, it can just spread. Like, you don't need to sell it. Like, it should just, like, make everyone young the second you release it. But it turns out she's been using it for 20 years. Wouldn't it be great if there was a person at the end who's just like, what was that all about? Like the virus is still out there. Everything's fine. These guys didn't solve anything. And in the background, they're still high-fiving each other because they're stupid. Well, no. And then someone comes by and says, oh, what it was all about? It was about Jake getting over his dead wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somehow he did. Somehow he did through this show. All right. Do you guys have any final notes before we get to ratings? No. Um, No, it was bad. I've got something for Jordan. Oh, great. (laughs) Jordan's so excited. You can tell by his tone of voice. (laughs) (laughs) The director and co-writer of Codename Phoenix Jordan, is a Mm. continuing drag all-star. Nice. He wrote an episode of Galactica 1980. Oh, wow. And do you want to know which episode he wrote? Um, I'm going to guess the introduction of the the Super Kids. He wrote Spaceball. Which one was Spaceball? The one where they play baseball for an episode. Oh, that was bad. Good on this guy. The entire episode of Baseball. (laughs) So he's been been writing not very good sci-fi for at least 30 years. Now he's directing, too. <laughs> he worked his way up. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, let's get into writing this. So, uh, Jillian, would you like to begin with Codename Phoenix? Um, four. <laughs> four. No no explanation. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> I think it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, I'll go next, I guess. Um, you know what? This movie was very dumb. But I had fun watching it. Uh, way more fun than I thought I should ever have. I don't know why, but this movie just made me laugh nonstop. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Oh my gosh. 6.5, Luke. That's a, like, I'm shocked. I had a good shocked. time. All the stupid stuff with the marshals, all of, like, every every new dumb, like, world-building piece. I just couldn't stop laughing. I thought it was... I felt like ever the people who made this realized they were just making trash, and they're just like, "How how dumb can we make it?" And I'm just like, "Keep going, keep making it dumber." <laughs> I always enjoy watching these TV movies because they're kind of one and done. And if it's good or it's bad, it's just like, "Well, there it was." But I'm more on Jillian's side of things. I'm giving this a three point five, and the point five is for uh, the last scene where she's crying in the mirror. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been a three from you. Otherwise, it'd be a three, yeah. Yeah, that scene that scene saved it a little bit. Three point five. Well, I, uh, some very mixed opinions on. I mean, <laughs> don't saying it was good, but uh, some very some very like either side of that five mark. But Luke, you you've been recommending it to friends and family. Oh yeah, I mean it's the <laughs> pandemic. What else are you doing? <laughs> do you have something better to do? It's <laughs> true. It's true. All right. Well, Jillian, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much. It was really fun, even though this movie's trash. <laughs> I mean, there's no one would say otherwise. I. I have a list now of like 75 of these UPN science fiction movies they made for Shockwave, Blockbuster Shockwave Cinema that are on a list somewhere. So uh, unfortunately, we're going to come back to more of these and see what else they do. (laughs) Are they mostly made in Canada? They must be. I'm sure this like one team just made one a week for like a year. Right. Yeah. Right. I hope they're in the same universe. I did think that there was maybe going to be some, like I was like excited for the like, asian and like chinese element that like i thought it would and i mean some of the fight scenes were okay um and like i mean i think they saved the movie for me because like i love a good martial art sequence 
Um, yeah, that's not what this was, though. That was this was just to give it that sort of exotic flair. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And that, like, yes, it would have been like developed in Asia. And yeah, three point five. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Um, if you want to email us about uh, continue, what is this called? Codename Phoenix. There yeah, we go. Yeah, Codename Phoenix. You can email us at continuumdrag at gmail and of course, on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at Continuum Drag. We're gonna have some clips from the show. There's Jillian will answer clips. emails about Vietnam and where uh, uh, John McCain landed his plane. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, for- we'll forward you the. We'll forward emails you receive <laughs> through us, Jillian. <laughs> oh, I will say that th- I think I give this a four out of ten, and it would have been a three, but only the four because I think the name Codename Phoenix is strong. Hmm. <laughs> strong, if unrepresentative of the show. Correct. All right, you guys. Uh, that's the end of the episode. Listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes. <laughs>